You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Good. Glad to hear it. If you have your Bible or your device, you can go ahead and open that to Acts chapter 13. Um, and as you're turning there, for those of you that may be new, my name's Hank Atchison. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church. And so we're really glad you're with us. Um, it's important for you to know as well that we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so uh, this isn't just some random deal where we just opened it up and said, hey, here's what we're going to preach from this week. Um, we've been in the book of Acts uh, since Easter, and we will be in the book of Acts, Lord willing, until next Easter. It's been a fascinating journey and one that is of, of incredible relevance for us. I think we'll see that even more so this morning than we have yet. As this starts, the uh, final section of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, for, for most people, is broken down in, in three sections. And the first section is the gospel advance in Jerusalem. The second section is the gospel advance in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. And starting in chapter 13, which we've covered, in case you're interested, roughly 16 years now. That's why I told you that we have not been in Acts for 16 years. It might scare you off but that we have covered 16 years worth of the life of the first century church since Easter Sunday morning. Well, starting in chapter 13, um, the gospel, as the Lord commanded and as the Lord decreed, is making its way to the ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters, I don't think I can remind us enough how good, how, how good of news that is for us. That the gospel made its way across the ocean and across the expanses all the way to our ears. Um, one of the things that I think has been encouraging for me, um, well, there's a few things, and, and I, I, I'm going to give you a little heads up. I'm going to do this this morning in the opposite way that you're taught to do it, okay? So fair warning. I'm, I'm going to give you three main takeaways, not just from Acts 13, but really from the entire book of Acts thus far. Because for me personally, as I thought through this introduction and as we transition into this new section of the book of Acts, as we've been following this narrative in detail, um, there have been some things that have been incredibly encouraging for me. And I think the author's intent, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the author is Dr. Luke, Luke, the Apostle Luke. His intent was for us to see at least the three things that I'm going to mention to you now. And the first one is this. Through the book of Acts, and it will continue in Acts 13, we should be inspired by the providential care of the Lord. It has been invigorating for me to be reminded of the reality that God is working all around us always. We read about these first Christians, and I do. I think, man, these were superhumans. Like they were special Christians. And certainly God used them in, in special ways and in, in, in unique ways. God worked through them and in them and around them in unique ways for the time that he allotted for them to live. But they're still humans. And somebody's going to amen this. They still have toddlers that are distracting. They still have disappointments of their own. And disappointments from those around them that are distracting. It still gets hot. It's still... It's rainy. It's, I mean, like they're human beings that still have the temptation to forget the reality that God is actively working all around us. And brothers and sisters, that should inspire us because it's still true. He's working. Secondly, we should be inspired. We should be inspired by the absolute power 
of the Lord. Now, now his, his providential care is, and his power are closely related. But by providential care in that first point, mainly what I'm highlighting is that all of these little details are factoring into God's plan. So when, when we say providence, it means that God has a plan and that plan is decreed and that plan is being carried out. And so the providential plan and, and his, his providential plan cares for his people and is about the purpose of his mission, which highlights his absolute power. We have seen already in the 16 years since the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2, we have seen the, the greatest powers of the world at this time try to come up against the Lord. And they've fallen short. In fact, the, the greatest spiritual power other than the Lord came up short on the day that Jesus Christ walked out of the grave. There is no power greater than the Lord. There will never be another power greater than the Lord. Therefore... Therefore, the, the Lord's church, His people, nothing is going to stand in opposition ultimately to His mission. He's too powerful. He's too powerful. And so it doesn't mean that we won't have opposition. It doesn't mean that we won't have moments where we feel the darkness and it seems really bleak and we have a lot more questions than we do answers. It, it doesn't mean all that. But clearly, one of the things that we're supposed to see and be inspired by in the book of Acts is that God has absolute power. Third, we should be inspired by the resolute mission of the Lord. He's determined. He is determined. Have you ever been around somebody that is just determined? Like they get something on their mind and they are determined to do it, accomplish it, whatever it is. Where the Lord is determined and resolute on an infinite level. We have seen his resoluteness throughout this book. There, there has been corruption from the inside that should have killed this thing. There has been persecution from the outside that should have killed this thing. And it hasn't. You know why? And this is still true today. The best thing that the early church has going for them. The, the best thing that Covenant Church has going. The best thing we have going for us is that the Lord is faithful. That's the best thing we have going for us. And it is the best thing because of his providential care, because of his absolute power, and because he is determined to carry out his plan. So be inspired by what we read. This is so relevant for us because we are fruit. We are fruit from the labor of these first century Christians. Now, in the remaining of our time, what I want to do is just talk through each section like we have been. I'll give you some commentary along the way. And then, Lord willing, we'll wrap up with a few takeaways at the end. So look down with me, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And I'll read through verse 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, a couple of these names 
we recognize. We, we recognize Barnabas. Barnabas, this is the same Barnabas that was mentioned back in Acts chapter 5. Um, we've actually learned a lot about this guy and how impactful he has been and how influential he's been in the early church, particularly for the life of Saul. Barnabas was an encourager. We've seen that. He's committed to the gospel mission. He's clearly filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's being used by God in a great way. We've also seen the conversion of Saul. So we've seen a lot from Saul as well. Now, the second man mentioned is Simeon, was also called Niger. We don't know a lot about him, but if you want to try to follow this out, maybe, I, it, this is definitely a, um, a side note. That a lot of scholars believe that this is the Simon or Simeon that carried the crossbar of Jesus' cross on the way to Calvary. Now, now, we don't know that for sure, but it is an interesting thing that is brought out from multiple sources. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene. We do not know very much about him, but, but then, then there's mention Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This, this fellow is interesting to me, and it's interesting what Luke tells us about him. Okay, so Herod the Tetrarch, it's not the Herod that we saw killed last week. Okay, God took him out last week. It, this, is, this Herod is the grandfather of the Herod that we saw taken out last week. Herod the Tetrarch was the Herod during the day of Jesus Christ. And so think of Moses and Pharaoh type relationship. Think of Joseph and Potiphar type relationship. Like this is a man that was of the Lord, that God saved. And I would say just it would have to be a miracle by the fact that he was raised in the house and around Herod the Tetrarch, who was anti everything Jesus. But this man finds himself listed in basically the pillars or the elders of this church at Antioch. We're told that they were prophets and teachers, which I think the most important thing to see from that highlights what they were committed to. They were committed to the proclamation and the teaching of the Word of God. We also learn in verse 2 that while they, they, that's the church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now, so, so the church has gathered to worship and they are fasting. And this this fasting in the Old Testament and the New Testament and still today is, is a way that God has given us to seek Him. Typically, it's when people would abstain from food. Um, it doesn't have to be food, but typically it's food in order to have a specific time focused in a specific direction towards the Lord. And most of the time, at least for us in our context, it's to get an answer or to get some sort of direction or to get some sort of wisdom. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't seem that this church is gathered to worship and gathered to fast because they're seeking anything else other than the Lord himself. And it's in that context of them being together, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now we have questions, right? Like said in an audible voice, was it a deep voice? Was it a squeaky voice? What language? We don't know. But what they know and what's sure is that it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. All right, so here's what's going down. The church is gathered. They're praying. Then about, they're about 16 years in. This church is a few years old. They have benefited greatly from the ministry of Saul and Barnabas. Look, these are the dudes. You want to talk about heavy hitters. 
These are the heavy hitters. This is the leadoff and the three-hole hitter. Like, these are your guys. Like, you don't want to be trading off these guys. And, and, and most commentaries pause here to, to talk about the impact that that would have had on the church and how disappointed they must have been. And, and I don't really take away from that, and I don't know if that's true or not true. I, I do think that somebody in the congregation thought, why them? But I think what it speaks to as much as it does anything is their leadership. God wasn't going to lead Paul and Barnabas to a place that was detrimental for the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is going to continue to be a sending unit. They're going to continue to send people out from there. And so I think it speaks as much to their leadership and their leadership development and how established they were as a church as these men were committed to the preaching and teaching of the word, as they were committed to gather together and worship and fast and seek the Lord. And it's in the midst of Christians doing Christian things that the Lord speaks to them and says, these two men are sent out. And this is, brothers and sisters, the first church that recognizes the need for other churches. It's a beautiful moment. It's an incredible moment. This hasn't changed. This is the way that it's supposed to be. Now, I'm all about conferences and human innovation and human initiative and leadership books and church planting books and pastoral books. But look, you can go to, to seminary and you can read the books. You can have PhDs from here to Greensboro and still not be sent out by God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. Set apart for who? Me, Paul, and Barnabas. And so this was an established church that had developed leaders. They had a plurality of leadership. They were integrated. They, there was Jew and there was Gentile. They worshiped together regularly. They sought the Lord regularly. And when that happens, this, this is the norm. This is supposed to be the norm. People are sent out from that to go do it somewhere else for the advance of the gospel. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, when they had gone through the whole island. Man, if you underline or highlight, like I would get that. I mean, they didn't just stop in one spot. I mean, how, much, how easy would it be for these guys as gifted as they are to just just stop in one spot, but they evidently have made their way across the whole island, and they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and verse 5 says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. I want to show you a map, um, for some of you this will help you just kind of have a visual, I, I don't know if you can see it, I hope you can, but you see the little blue circle on this side, um, that's Antioch, and just south of Antioch is Seleucia, and they sailed from Seleucia to the island of Cyprus, and the first place they come is Salmas, and then about 90 miles or so, um, to, I don't know, I, my, my towards are off a little bit here, I, maybe that's like southwest toward Paphos, they made their journey all the way across the island of Cyprus, and they did what they're going to do um, for all the missionary journeys, they proclaimed the word of God throughout the land. Why did they go to Cyprus? I have no idea. No clue. I know Barnabas was from Cyprus, so maybe he just had a heart for Cyprus. We don't really know why they went to Cyprus. We do know that Cyprus was a huge part of the Mediterranean world, particularly economically. A lot of people coming in and out of Cyprus. 
Something else to note about Cyprus, even though it had a heavy Jewish community, what ruled the day was like a lot of these Mediterranean places, what ruled the day was, was, was not the worship of Jehovah. What ruled the day was the worship of whoever and whatever was the latest and greatest. The undercurrent of the culture were these hearts. Most of them highly educated. Brilliant. Could work hard. Were successful. But you had these hearts that were seeking looking under every rock and every crevice for what was actually true and what could satisfy their hearts. And they'd come up short. So if we ask the question, well, why Cyprus? Well, I don't really know why Cyprus. I do know that Cyprus needed the gospel. And so that's where they, that's where they take it. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish. Now, a, a Jewish magician is, 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 is like an oxymoron. Okay? He lets us know he's Jewish, but the Old Covenant was clear. Um, you would be killed on the spot for practicing any sort of sorcery or magic. Now, don't think like, you know, a card trick magic here. Okay? That, that's not what's happening. Like, this is, these are people who are tapping into demonic, supernatural, evil forces. This man happened to be a Jew, did you catch his name? A false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. He was with proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Now, Sergius Paulus would be sort of the governor of this area. Very intelligent, very powerful. Look, these nobodies, I know they're not nobodies to us, that's Paul and Barnabas, but these nobodies have no business no business having a meeting with Sergius Paulus. But you remember what I told you about sort of the heart of the culture? There's, there's something missing. As successful as Sergius Paulus is, he's heard of the latest, greatest, newest religion that's sort of storming the Mediterranean world. And, hey, I, I'm going to give these guys an opportunity to let me know. Now, what, we don't know his motive for sure, but we do know the truth of every human heart is that it's seeking and searching for something to satisfy it. So Paul and Barnabas find their way into a meeting with Sergius Paulus. And, and in this interaction, as Paul and Barnabas share the gospel, and this is true often, sometimes we don't see it as blatantly as this, but there is opposition. And that's where Bar-Jesus comes in. And Bar-Jesus is, is the opposition. So verse 7, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul. And listen, he sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so my, I hope it's sanctified, but like my sanctified imagination has Sergius Paulus genuinely seeking. And Bar Jesus knows it. And I wonder if Sergius Paulus is one of his prime customers. Like, if this dude finds out what's real and what's true, I lose a customer. I mean I, I mean, I don't know that, but he opposes clearly and blatantly and intentionally. And his, his motive, his motive is to pull the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, away from the truth. That's what it says at the end of verse 8. The proconsul, oh, away from the faith. But Saul, 
who was called, also called Paul. Aren't y'all relieved that we can finally call him Paul? Goodness gracious. Finally, he's Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit, that's important, especially when we read what he did and how he responded. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I don't think Paul had read how to win friends and influence people. (laughs) You know, sometimes as a Christian leader, you have to do this. And I know what gets the most press is the gentleness, the care, the tenderness, the concern the taking care of, the compassion, and rightfully so. All those things were taught by Paul as he writes letters back to churches that he plants. All of these things were modeled by Jesus Christ. But, but as, as a Christian leader, and we see this in the life of Jesus, and right here we see it in the life of Paul. As a Christian leader, th- there comes a moment, and there are moments where, and, and I don't want to offend, I really don't, but, but there are moments where um, passivity's out. Have you ever thought about like what a shepherd does? What kind of shepherd is fearful? What kind of shepherd is scared of the wolf? What kind of shepherd's scared of the dark? What kind of shepherd's not willing to do whatever it takes to get in front of the threat? And I may die on this hill. But you're not getting to my sheep. A lot of, like, we don't have a, do you? And I'm asking me, like, do we have a category in our minds for people who love us enough to confront us? Or have we positioned ourselves intentionally around people who won't? I'm not good at this. Ask my wife. I'm not good at the receiving part. Bless you. I'm not. We're not accustomed to this kind of interaction in our Christian circles. But it's necessary, friends. It's 100% necessary. And, and this isn't just as a pastor. This is for you as a parent or as a friend or as a brother and sister. If you have brothers and sisters in Christ, we should serve each other in this way. That it's not always, yes, 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 follow your heart. Do It's never follow your heart. Do whatever makes you feel good. Make yourself happy. No, sometimes it's stop. What are you doing? Quit. The Apostle Paul, and this is the takeaway, he loved Bar-Jesus and Sergius Paulus enough to confront it right there. He could have called him, he said, hey, hey, um, Bar-Jesus, can we talk for a second? Excuse us, proconsul. He could have done that. That's where the wind friends, wind friends influence people might have come into play. You know, you know, he could have been a little bit more tender or soft in the way that he did it, but he intently opposes Bar Jesus in front of the proconsul, his mama, and everybody. 
And so we continue to read in verse 11. And now, this is Paul speaking to Bar-Jesus. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So again, think of how the tables have turned. The man's name means son of Jesus. Paul's just said, you're actually the opposite. You're a son of the devil. You got a man who makes a living by telling people he can see the future. He can tell them what's going to happen tomorrow. And now he can't see what's right in front of his face. And he's trying to find somebody to take him by the hand and lead him around. And yet again, week after week, another story of how silly it is for we as humans to think we can come against ultimately our creator. And certainly in opposition to the gospel. Because the Lord will be resolute. This is, a, this is an example of the resoluteness of the Lord. The impact that Sergius Paulus is going to have on his community as a born-again believer is not going to be stopped. And so we go on to read verse 12. And the proconsul, he believed. And you might be going, well, yeah. His Magician just (laughs) was struck blind. That was a factor. But notice what it says. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Fair enough. That that is a factor. But watch how it ends. Four. He was astonished. This is what Luke says astonished him. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The gospel. You remember when I was telling you at the beginning of this where like the the overarching search of the human heart is for purpose, peace, comfort, hope. And from the world's standards, they look at the proconsul and they say, That's what I want to be. When I was a little boy or I was a little girl, that's what I hoped to be. I wanted to have his intelligence. I wanted to have his money. I wanted to have his power. I wanted to have everything that he had. But here's the proconsul seeking out Paul and Barnabas. You know why? Because what what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? And we're told he believed. God gave him ears to hear and eyes to see. There was demonic opposition in the same conversation. But the Lord is determined. The Lord is resolute. The Lord is a good shepherd. And he rescued the proconsul from the punishment that he deserved. And Sergius Paulus according to what we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 12, will not end up in hell because he believed in the teaching of the Lord. I have a few final thoughts. The first one is this, and and these are, are repetitive by design. The first one is this. The Roman world 
couldn't, our world can't minister to the deepest needs of the human heart. Parents, and I know everybody in here is not a parent, but if you are a part, if you call yourself a part of this faith family or any faith family, like we're in this thing together, uh, not to be high school musical e, okay? But we are like like we're in this thing together, and and we need one another's help. We need one another's prayers in raising our children. The most important thing that our children need to hear is that this world cannot satisfy the deepest needs of their hearts. We watch them. We have a front row seat of watching them come into this world seeking affirmation, seeking approval, want, wanting to be made much of. They want to know what's true. They want hope. Like They want all these things, and those aren't necessarily evil desires, but the problem is, is we want to give them the world, but the world's not the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only way that our hearts can be satisfied. Whether you find yourself as a proconsul, pretty sure those not a deal in the U.S., or wherever. The deepest needs of the human heart are not met by the world. And generation and after generation and after generation, and human experience after human experience and after human experience has proven, has proven that this world cannot satisfy the deepest need of our heart. Only Jesus Christ can. second everything we go through is a stepping stone now this has so many questions and and friends i i am honest with you i hope you're glad to know that um i'm, I'm honest with you charlie gets on me for saying that at the but, but like to be honest this puts tension in my heart it puts tension in my heart because i know the things that i've experienced that were really dark and i don't have answers for I know some of the things, I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you have walked through some really difficult journeys, some really hard things. Some of you are going through some really difficult things, and you're like, man, this just isn't what I signed up for. Like, what I'm experiencing doesn't feel consistent with what I should be receiving from a loving Father. And so the whole providential thing, the whole sovereign thing, just, just causes you angst. Right? It's just like, how am I like, like, mm. But where do you go from there? To me, it's a clear split. He's either sovereign or he's not. He's either in control of everything or he's not. What I see in Scripture, I have trouble believing. I hope you can handle that from your pastor. It takes faith. To live with this tension. But when I read things like what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. That these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore fix your eyes not on what you can see. But on what you can't see. For what you can see. I love this word. Is transient. What you can't see. Is eternal. Or what he wrote in Romans chapter 8, where he says, These current sufferings, and oh, friends, we've been through some difficulties, but not like Paul. These current sufferings aren't worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that will far outweigh them all. 
And so even though it may be a painful step onto that stepping stone, and it may be weak need and wobbly need, and our knees may buckle, like all the things, everything that we go through because of God's providential care, everything we go through is a stepping stone to, towards our Christ-likeness and ultimately to the glory of God in our lives. One of the most awesome things about being a pastor is that I, you're going to think I'm weird for this, but I get to sit at the bedside of dying saints. Who know it's coming. They're sad. They're praying for healing. But they're confident. They're like, I'm going home. Like, he's going to bring me home. And they look back on their lives and they reflect on their lives and, and there's maybe questions galore. Like they even doubt why they're in the shape that they're in in that particular moment. But, but ultimately and finally we have to rely on the Lord. Because remember the best thing the church had going for them in the first century was the faithfulness of God. And the best thing we have going for us today is still the faithfulness of God. Third. The gospel first is for you. It's really easy in our culture to think affiliation with Jesus Christ is salvation. Jesus didn't live and die the death that he died and display his power through resurrection in the way that he did and ascend to be the current ruling reigning king of kings and lord of lords at the right hand of the father today so that we could be affiliated with him affiliation because your parents are because you've been to church because you've done christian things all that's wonderful and you know what else it's normal in our culture it's, it's pretty still to this day it's still pretty normal to be affiliated with christian things and to like christian things like but but jesus didn't do what he did for us so that we could be affiliated with him he did what he did for us so that we could become with him and at his table and be in his family like he he took our sin on himself and gave us his righteousness which means for us as individuals, we have to come to a moment in our life where we recognize that our deepest need is Jesus Christ. And because of our own sin, we've been separated from him. And the only way to get back, the proconsul Sergius Paulus, he could have lived a, a million and a half years trying to gain righteousness and intellect and power. And it wouldn't have been enough. We do not have the ability in and of ourselves to save ourselves. We have the ability to affiliate ourselves. But we cannot save ourselves. And so therefore, for, for me and for you, we have to come to a moment where we recognize that Jesus Christ is our only way to be saved. Through his life and his death and his resurrection. And it takes you. It doesn't take your mama and your daddy praying for you. It doesn't take me praying for you. It doesn't mean go read. No, it takes you. You as one who is created by this God. And has offended this God. Going to this God and saying, I have offended you greatly. Will you forgive me? 
I see that you sent your son Jesus to live the life that I could not, and he died the death that I deserve, and I place my trust in him, your trust in him. And then after that, and then after that, we have to understand that the gospel is for our neighbor too. Just in a moment, if you would just think, in a, think for a moment of your own personal story. Somebody loved you enough to share the gospel with you. Think about it. What, I mean, I, for, like, like for me, I, I, had a, I had a football coach that was a great football coach. But he knew that he was coaching football for greater reasons than coaching football. Regardless of what stepping stone you're on in your stage of life, if you're a born-again Christian, it's an opportunity to highlight the goodness and the mercy of God. We have a responsibility as individuals, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, to take the message that you love to your neighbor. We have a responsibility as a church to take the message of Jesus Christ to Tuscaloosa, to Alabama, to the United States, to the ends of the earth. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And brothers and sisters, it's still true today. How impressed would you have been with Saul's conversion if that's where it stopped? You can't even imagine it, could you? I couldn't. Would we even know about it? I mean, he, he ends up writing over half the New Testament. Friends, we have to see our responsibility. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to take this message to our neighbor. If you would bow your heads. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.